Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, well, welcome back, Solar Warriors, Climate Champions. This is another Tactical Tuesday here on Suncast. These are conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career and grow with us in this clean energy revolution here on Suncast. If Thursdays are thoughtful insights into the who of the industry, consider this the what, when, how, where, the tools of the trade, if you will. And very often, as is today, we bring you content from one of our many live broadcasts and trainings. This one in particular is coming to you from the most recent live event that we've held, which is RE+, where we partnered with the conference to bring the Power Up Media Zone to life. At the Media Zone, we interviewed industry thought leaders, personalities, executives, and founders to glean their insights about the current trends and where the industry is going. This is one such interview, and I know you are going to love it. And if you're new here, I would hope that you will subscribe to the show. I hope that we earn your attention and trust after today's conversation. Of course, you can find more than 525 additional founder stories and startup advice over in our catalog of back conversations at mysuncast.com. You will also find all of the conversations that we streamed live from the Power Up Media Zone over on YouTube. If you just search Suncast Media or if you just put in to YouTube the channel marker for Suncast Media, it's all one word, Suncast Media, you will certainly find our channel and become one of our more than 1,000 subscribers to that channel as well. For now, let's get down to business and tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, with another practical, tactical, live conversation from RE Plus here on Suncast. All right, we're going to kick it off here at uh, the top of the hour. With the Power Up Media Zone, produced by Suncast Media and presented by Fluence, we are going to be interviewing Andy Redinger. Andy's the managing director and group head of utility, power, and renewable energy at KeyBank Capital Markets. And uh, how many of you knew that KeyBank was the top provider of capital for renewables? And is it North America? Uh, North America. That's right, Nico. Actually, we've been the largest project finance lender in North America since 2018. That is a fascinating, fascinating fact. You know, one of the things that I think is, uh, it's really interesting for me that folks, folks who are developing projects really do know and understand how project finance works. But the broader, the broader sector really is perplexed by project finance. And even the, the providers, I would dare say, they know your, your typical, you know, Wells Fargo's and, and uh, you know, Bank of America's, the big four, big five banks. But they're not so in, so in tune with how project finance and tax equity works. How did KeyBank carve out not just a market, but the dominant position in project finance for renewables for North America? 
Well, that, that's easy. Um, <laughs> well, I would say those those banks you mentioned, I think they're really fast followers. It took a little bit longer than we thought for them to be fast followers, but uh, we, we started out in 2000, call it seven or eight. Our core business is we, we bank uh, most of North America's investor-owned utility companies and have been doing so since the late 90s. And what had happened in 2007 or 8, quite frankly, the, uh, the utility space was getting pretty boring and we were looking for the next big thing. And when we looked around, we could see renewables was coming like a freight train as an opportunity, we thought. And, and quite frankly, at that point in time, I thought there would be a lot more convergence mm-hmm. between renewables and IOUs. And I thought it was right around the corner. So we thought it was going to happen between, you know, our existing base utility companies and renewables sometime in you know, that 10 to 12 period. Well, we were, we were about 12 years wrong. I think that convergence is just starting to happen now. And obviously the ESG and, and all of the interest in being green has brought in a bunch of new capital. And what has happened here in the last 24 months really is that this business went from a, renewables used to be considered a niche business and it attracted enough capital to kind of grow it from where it was in 08 to now. but. What has happened is the, the business has become mainstream and it's attracted a lot of those banks you mentioned that weren't in. And so we're getting a lot of fast followers now. Yeah. And, you know, capital is, you know, the industry, quite frankly, is in a washing, ca- a washing capital. Yeah, it is a washing capital. Can you describe for folks that maybe at a high level, folks are unfamiliar, sort of where you sit in uh, project finance from a tax equity or capital markets perspective in terms of when folks would come to KeyBank versus other types of, pap- of providers? Well, they're coming to us earlier and earlier now, but when we did start the business, the developers would come to us once they had the project basically uh, ready to put a shovel in the ground. Fast forward to today, these developers are coming uh, to us you know, months, if not years, before the project's ready to be constructed. And that's just a natural maturation, I think, of, this, of the industry, whereas as more capitals come in, we as a capital provider have to be more aggressive to win deals. And so we're starting to lend earlier and earlier. In regards to where I sit in the capital structure, these projects are typically, and this is a general rule of thumb, don't hold me to this, but this is, this is generally holds true, is that usually debt is 40%, 40 to 50% of the overall capital stack. Tax equity is 40 to 50% of the overall capital stack. And then equity is typically 10% or less of the t- capital stack. And that's how these projects historically have been financed. They're largely financed with tax equity and debt. And the piece that's the smallest is the equity piece. And you're providing the equity piece. Uh, no, we are providing the debt piece. So <laughs> what we do is we provide that 40% debt piece once the project is up and uh, constructed. But we're also during construction, we're, brid- you know, we're providing that 40 during construction as well. Plus we're also bridging the tax equity so in effect, during construction, we're providing 80% of the cost to build the project and equities providing the remaining you know, 10 to 20% to get the project constructed. And then once it's built, tax equity comes in, takes out our tax equity bridge loan, our construction loan converts to a permanent piece of debt and uh, the project is off and running. And you recycle that capital back into more and more projects. And more is, projects, that's right. Which is what makes you the largest project finance provider? Yeah, the- that's right. I mean, it's, that's right. it's part of the contribution. That, that's right. I was joking about you providing equity. I was <laughs> yeah, no, I got you. <laughs> so when, when, in one of our prior conversations, you mentioned something that I'd love to explore a little bit because I think you have a particularly uh, useful perspective on it. 
you said that there was a watershed event in the industry, but um, and that was Yield Coast because it proved that we could scale this industry, but it was scaled all, like wrong basically, and the industry collapsed. Can you talk a bit about yeah. the unfortunate demise of Yield Coast? Because you're the first person to talk to me about it being sort of a model that the horse that should have won the race, and it's, it really, it really should have. And I think the industry learned a really good lesson there. This is this is going back for maybe six years and around. You know, the industry was kind of taking its next step in its maturation. And as more and more developers were coming to market and their needs became more and more, there was clearly a need to find cheaper and more capital. And one of the areas that was obvious that wasn't being tapped was the equity markets. Mm -hmm. And back then, these type of assets are not read eligible. And there was a structure created, you know, where you could put these assets um, in a C corporation and, you know, basically attract investors that wanted a, you know, a yielding product. And so we were part of the first yield co that was out there, NRG Yield. It was wildly uh, successful. It was three or four times oversubscribed. It paid a nice dividend yield. And, you know, at the time they basically said that they would grow the dividend yield, I think, you know, two or 3% a year. What happened is that that was such a attractive piece of capital that all the other developers in the space then all wanted, decided they wanted to do a yield co and the market had to raise, basically raised a little over $18 billion in a very, very short period of time. I think it was under two years. And when you do that, when an industry grows that quickly, you don't have time to go out and educate the investor universe properly. So what you end up attracting, uh, what you end up attracting to an industry that grows that quickly is a bunch of hedge funds. And hedge funds are not long-term holders, typically, of investments. They're traders, they like to come in and out. So that $18 billion was great, we raised it. Wall Street did a bad job of educating the investor universe to get the right buy and hold investors in there so when when clouds appeared on the horizon, a lot of those hedge funds just sold out of all the paper and the market collapsed. This time, there's been a few IPOs that have been filed. Mm -hmm. This time, and uh, we hope that we'll see one happen here in the next month or so, but there's, there's several, and I would say more than several behind this, but this time, uh, I believe, when these eventually deals come to market, you're going to see a much better reaction from the equity markets. I think there has been education that's been provided to the investment community. I think there's more investors interested in this space, and I think they've all done their homework. So I think here in the next month or two, we're going to see the first IPOs in the renewable space for renewable platforms mm -hmm. since, since yield codes. And the difference is these won't be dividend-paying mm -hmm. entities. They're just going to be entities that buy and hold renewable assets and have a tremendous amount of growth. So these are almost growth vehicles versus yield vehicles. Yeah. And um, we, we think it's really going to be a watershed event and also uh, be a really attractive source of capital for others to tap into. I've heard you say that it's going to trade a lot more like real estate than renewables. Yeah, yeah. so the idea is that, you know, I've always said this, is that renewables or power projects are real estate. The IRS thinks they're real estate. The IRS taxes them like they're real estate. So why isn't this asset class, why wouldn't trade like real estate? And if you look at how REITs trade or real estate trades, real estate trades on a net asset value basis. And the idea here is that these assets should trade like real estate because they are real estate. And 
we think when they do eventually come to market, the market will look at them and they'll trade a, you know, on a multiple of NAV, the multiples to be determined. And I think that multiple will largely depend on how quickly they're projecting to grow that asset base over time. So instead of a multiple on EBITDA, we'll start seeing these assets trade on a multiple of NAV. Well, I think there's a battle going on in the marketplace right now. I think some investors, they don't understand NAV. Other investors do understand NAV. So, you know, pick your poison. I can convert that NAV multiple into an EBITDA multiple or vice mm-hmm. versa. So you pick how you want to look at it. But both, both I think, are going to be um, metrics that we use to, to see how these things, you know, are valued in the marketplace. Have you been curious about utility-scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built-in DC-to-DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. Hey family, one quick reminder here that if you haven't yet joined Resource Labs, you are missing out. It is our outstanding community. It's the evolution of Suncast moving from presentations, you listening to us talk, to conversations. Our community involved in conversations as varied as powering Australia to green hydrogen to crypto and so many other things. Our newsroom is full of great insights. The main chat and even our RE Plus Where to Party At channel have been popping off. We've got more than 100 folks enjoying the community, and I would invite you in. You can do that at mysuncast.com forward slash community. Come see how Resource Labs can help you grow your influence, impact, and income. See you inside. You mentioned the fast follower effect and uh, how ESG is driving more of a institutional investor niche market sort of growth. One of the things in, in the previous conversation we had, you, you referred to something as the largest source of capital that's unknown in equity markets. You remember that? I don't. Remind yeah, me so some more. You were talking about, and I, I want to ask you, because I love when I sit down with you, I just learn so much. And I wanted you to unpack this multi-trillion term loan B market. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. You always get, I always get this so, response from Andy. Oh, right. That's that one. right. <laughs> so again, this, this industry, and this makes sense. Most industries in their infancies, infancy are, are financed on a project finance basis. And this industry really has been financed that way for the last 15 years. Again, this becoming a mainstream versus niche industry has caused the institutional marketplace to really turn on. There's an institutional term loan B market. It's, it's a multi-trillion dollar marketplace that up until this point in time has not really been interested in investing in renewables. That marketplace tends to lever, lever these deals up more than banks, tend to be less restrictive, and quite frankly, will end up being a better source of capital for renewables. So what I'm excited about is that I think, you know, this, this along with the equity markets are turning on and it's a source of capital that will be very attractive to the space. And it's just a natural maturation moving from more of a PF project financing. I'm not saying that PF's going to completely die, but I think as the industry continues to mature, more and more deals will be done in the institutional marketplace just because it's literal, it's a better source, more 
flexible source of capital and the industry is mature enough where it should be attracting that type of capital. Thank you for that. I was going to use this as the title of the, today's episode because I feel like it would have attracted a whole lot of people to come over and just hear your provocative answers. <laughs> so I'll just throw the question out there. You've said, I don't know if you've said it publicly, but you've said to me that the IRA created a problem that didn't need to be solved. <laughs> All right. I have to be careful, a little careful <laughs> here. Um, but the Inflation Reduction Act, absolutely. It was, it was like throwing gasoline on a roaring bonfire. The renewable space, you know, the issue was not capital. Capital before the Inflation Reduction Act was wildly available. And... I understand what the IRA did. IRA just, just literally made that fire burn even hotter. It clearly is going to make the developers more profitable. But it, it, you know, it, it was kind of throwing money at a problem that maybe didn't exist. Again, capital was not the, is not an issue in our space or access to capital. I think over time, what will happen is that those, the benefits from the IRA will just, in effect, help drive down power prices lower. Mm -hmm. Because if we're all competing in an RFP on the same project and we all have access to the same benefits and I have the same return hurdle, I'm just now able to offer a lower price and my return will stay the same because I'm getting higher benefits. So I think in the, in the short term, for sure, there's gonna be huge benefit to the first movers. Mm -hmm. I don't think the, the, the market moves that quick, but over time, I think this will just serve to lower power prices. So the utility wins. Yeah, so in, in effect, at the end of the day, the benefits of this will accrue mostly to the, the people that are buying the power. Mm. Now, you know, it does, you know, the IRA will solve uh, the problem of we more renewable projects will get built, mm -hmm. which is the goal, I think, of, one, of what they're trying to yep. accomplish, but so it doesn't oh, solve a there wasn't a capital problem, but yeah, it maybe was, it maybe it solves the de decarbonization problem. It does. It helps solve a decarbonization problem. It doesn't help solve you know there was there wasn't a capital problem. Yeah. Yeah. And it probably you know the question I have is whether those utilities will then because they're getting lower prices in some way pass that benefit along to the communities that they're helping decarbonize power for. That's that should happen. Yes. Yeah. That that should happen. Well, I think in uh, in a perfect world that would be a great outcome. It, it should. I think it's more efficient, though, just to give them a tax deduction. But um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm going to do something because I see some really smart developers and I don't usually say, hey, can we ask for questions? But I wonder, I'm not as savvy as some of the folks I see standing in the audience. Does anyone else have a question they would pose to Andy about how he thinks the capital markets are going to stack up? No, nobody, nobody is, dares toss their hat in the ring to ask you a question. Well, that gives me a little courage because I've at least tried. <laughs> well, Andy Redinger, again, as I, as I mentioned, Andy is the managing director of Grand Group Head at Quebec Capital Markets for renewable energy, utility, and power here in North America. It's really fascinating to hear always your thoughts. You're going to be back here with us at the Daily Roundup right. at 530? I will. All right. All right. We'll throw some more provocative questions at you. Great. Thanks, Nico. Appreciate Andy Redinger, everyone. Thank you. All right. Well, Thank you so much for tuning in to today's live stream replay from RE Plus Power Up Media Zone. I want to thank once again the sponsors who helped make the Media Zone possible, in particular, Fluence, who is our presenting sponsor, and our wonderful supporting sponsors as well who contributed to the show. Thanks again to RE Plus for trusting us with 
half of your booth on the show floor. And thanks to each and every one of you who not only showed up here for this replay, but who showed up live on the show floor to help create that audience atmosphere and give us that feedback right from the show floor. I'd love to know what you learned from this conversation. If you'd go to mysuncast.com and click on the episode notes page, you'll find a link to the show notes for this episode right in your podcast player in the description. We always link to it. And in that show notes page, you'll easily find links to all of our social media. Would you take a moment and go on to LinkedIn, find the post that we've made for this episode and let us know what you thought about this one in particular. I know that the guests would love to hear your feedback and I would love to know how we can make this a more enjoyable experience for you or where exactly this landed and resonated for you. How does this episode help you push forward in your career, your business, your journey in this clean energy revolution? If you want to enjoy even more conversations like this, well, not only do we live stream the whole RE Plus event to our YouTube channel, which is also easily findable there in the show notes page, but we have more than 525 episodes, resources, highlights from all these discussions, along with social media links and each guest's book recommendations, their insights, and so much more over on our website at mysuncast.com. If you've been wondering how you could partner with Suncast, like one of our sponsors did for this live event, or like our many partners throughout the year have partnered on our mini episodes and our custom Tactical Tuesday episodes, or if you'd like to just inquire about potentially having me look at your business through the coaching lens or as an advisor and investor and help scale your clean energy business, well, you could find out how to do more of all of that by going over to mysuncast.com. We try to make it a little easier for you to find the path that meets your needs as you scale your personal and professional journey in the clean energy economy. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.